Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Safari, iHeartRadio, I think I said that one already, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, we're on everything, hit that subscribe button. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, also from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Dion Reed from Steelers Nation South, Rollo Cawthon. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a 13-year NFL veteran cornerback out of Purdue, you can see that picture of Purdue behind Dion there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Played with the Vikings, Chiefs, the team that is now the Washington football team, but at that time it was the Redskins. And, of course, the Houston Oilers. He's a two-time pro bowler. He's got a first-team all-pro. He has 43 career interceptions. He's been an assistant coach for several football teams, including the Chargers and most recently the New York Guardians. He's a Kentucky Pro Football Hall of Famer. Cornerback Chris Dishman. Chris, thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you. It's going to be a good one tonight. We are debating the top five Oilers slash Titans franchise, all-time defensive players. So we'll be talking eight. We'll vote in the top five. We're going to get this started tonight with Jarrell Casey. Yeah, so I, I would take or well, represent Jarrell Casey tonight. Um, Jarrell Casey Third round pick, 77th overall out of USC. Um, as you mentioned, I'm out of the gridiron, so we might as well talk about the gridiron. And one of the uh, toughest guys in in his era, um, he played with the Titans uh, from 2011 to 2019. Um, of course, spent his last year, um, last year with the Broncos, but um, over his career, Played 142 games. He started every game that he's played in in his career except two. Um, he's he's been consistent as far as uh, actually starting the games until his late career uh, with the Broncos. Um, his in his 139 games with the Titans, he's racked up 507 tackles, 51 sacks as a defensive tackle, 51 sacks. Uh, 85 tackles for loss. He also has 15 pass deflections. During that time with the Titans, he was a five-time Pro Bowler. Also, um, that was five consecutive years, the only one to do that in that time period. And he was uh, first-team All-Pro in 2013. So, Chris, with with Jarrell Casey, like, he was a dominant player 
just this last decade, but he kind of flies under the radar. And then he spent his last year in Denver. I always, I always hate to see when the players go away for that one last season and then they retire. You always want them to retire on their own team. But, but what are your thoughts on Jarrell Casey? Well, Jarrell was a good player. He's a five-time Pro Bowler. Anytime you can make the Pro Bowl five times in a position he played, you can tell he was a very dominant, uh, very dominant player. You know, being being in the trenches like that and, and able to make the Pro Bowl. So you have people, you have offensive linemen, you have people actually, you know, trying to cut you on each and every play and in contact in each and every play. So I can see uh, a strong case for Jarrell uh, as far as being up there. I can really see that because, like I said, anytime you make the Pro Bowl five times, it's, it's, it's big, it's huge. Do you feel he has Hall of Fame numbers? Um... Considering the Pro Bowls, considering the the tackles, I say yes. Um, you know, it depends on is he a first time ballot. I don't I don't think he's a first time ballot, but he he has potential to be in the Hall of Famer. It's really hard to get somebody in on a first ballot. If well, well, that position itself is is hard to get in on first ballot. You know, you have to be. Um, your Reggie Whites and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, you have to be those type of players, but. Uh, Jarrell is not in the Reggie White class, but he's close to Reg, uh, Reggie White. But he's not in that type. Of, he wasn't that type of player. But I think he should be able to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, let's stay on the D line here. Let's go to let's go to Curly Culp. All right, Curly Culp. Yeah, I mean a, a defensive tackle, a nose tackle. Um, when Culp was in college, he was a NCAA wrestling champion. And so I think this really contributed to how he was able to just battle there in the trenches during his career. Uh, he learned about leverage. Um, you know, he was already had the size. He was 6'1", 265 pounds, had natural abilities, and just, you know, just a really, really tough nose tackle to deal with. Um, Culp, he started with the Chiefs. And in Super Bowl IV, uh, Hank Stram realized that when he put him over center, in front of Mick uh, Tinglehoff, that he became this was like a big mismatch, and and Tinglehoff was a really he was a really good center, but um, he did this, and this matchup turned out to really be one of the biggest stories of the Chiefs' victory that day. So a few years later, the Chiefs dealt Culp to the Oilers, and Bum Phillips really felt like Culp could you know really vastly improve the defense. And it turns out he was right, right on the money. The Oilers, uh, they gave up a first-round pick for Culp, but it was well worth it. The Oilers' defense was ranked last in 1973. Midway through the season, 1974, they acquire Culp, got him up to 18th um, in the final eight games there, and then the, the defense was ranked fifth in 1975 after a full season with Culp. So you could see the improvement. Um, speaking of 1975, it was his best season, 11 and a half QB sacks, which is a really high number for a nose tackle. <laughs> um, and, you know, because a nose tackle is usually just somebody, you know, you kind of occupy blockers, uh, take up space, you know, getting to run, you know, trying to stop the run game. But he was able to get out after the QB as well. Um, some people really feel like he was unblockable at times when he was on. Hall of Fame center Jim Otto once said Curly Culp was perhaps the strongest man I ever lined up against. And then the Chiefs' great quarterback, Lynn Dawson, once said that centers in the NFL felt that they had to go up against Culp in order to see where they stood against the best. Uh, Culp made six Pro Bowls during his career, 
was a five-time All-Pro. Uh, he was the 1975 NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, and he kick-started a successful seven-year period for the Oilers, uh, during which they went 62 and 42 and made the playoffs three times. So that's a curly cult. So, Chris, Brian said they were last. They bring in him. They go to 18th and then 5th. Can one player himself solidify a defense like that? Yes, he can. Uh, here's the story that I heard about Curly Colt. Don't know if it's true or not, but it's the story I heard that he was, uh, like he said, he was one of the strongest per people that's played in in the NFL at that time. And he was also a great hand wrestler. They said that one time in the locker room, he beat two guys at one time with the right and his left hand. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I wasn't there, but I was told that those rumors would happen. So anybody can beat someone with a right and a left hand arm wrestling that I think, yes, he can solidify himself as a Hall of Famer and also a Hall of Famer arm wrestler. Let's move on to linebacker here. Do uh, Robert Brazil. Uh, Robert Brazil, one of the coolest nicknames in NFL history, Doom. Uh, he was drafted out of Jackson State in 1975, first round. And his instant inclusion into the defense, because so they transitioned from a 4-3 to a 3-4 defense under Bum Phillips that year. And he was one of the catalysts of that defense. And that's why he came in. He was 1975 Rookie of the Year. Um, he was a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro. Uh, he was part of the 70s All-Decade -Dec team and voted into the Hall of Fame in 2018. He's fourth in Oilers franchise history with uh, 14 fumble recoveries, or fourth among defenders in fumble recoveries, and he is eighth in total, total sacks. Uh, he's a second in official tackles with over 1,200. And one of the greatest seasons by a linebacker was 1978, where he had 185 tackles. And in the 1978 AFC Championship game, he had nine tackles and a forced fumble. Uh, he also is cre cre unofficially credited with 48 sacks. And he was a 6'4", 241-pound linebacker in the 70s, running a 4'6". So he was, that's why he's one of the, the best Oiler Titans of all time, because he had the size, the speed, and he was a vicious hitter. And you don't get the name Dr. Doom for nothing. <laughs> Over 180, 180 tackles in one season. That's incredible. Chris, your, your thoughts on, on Robert? Uh, great nickname for one. Uh, yeah. Well, we used to call ourselves the House of Pain, but he started the, uh, the Doom before the House of Pain. Um, Robert, I, I met him once at a, at a function, and I thought he was a, a defensive lineman. But he said, no, he played linebacker, and, I, and he was still in such great shape um, then. And that was in 80, 89, 90 when I met him. And uh, he was a guy being that big playing linebackers, just phenomenal. You know, and plus a lot of his, like I said, I don't think they, I don't know when they started recording or starting counting sacks. So if you can go back and count the possible sacks that he possibly had, now all these guys, you go back and count the possible sacks they possibly had back then, I think the sack record would be so high up there. You know, it'd be hard to break. So a lot of those guys got cheated out of their stats because they didn't start counting sacks to later on in in, uh, in their career. Right. 
Well, let's move back to the D line here. We're gonna go Ray Childress. <laughs> so, defensive tackle, defensive end, nose guard. He played it all. Very versatile. If you grew up in my time period, you you know his name because he was he was the big name on that Houston defense. I uh, played ten years with him, eighty five to ninety five with the Oilers. It was still the Oilers at that point. First round pick, third overall out of Texas A&M. So he didn't even have to leave his home state there. Um, so as an Oiler, and this is just as an Oiler, five-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro, and four-time second-team All-Pro. So nice stats there. He set an NFL record with three fumble recoveries in one game. Um, now with Childress at tackle, the Oilers put up four of their eight single season lowest rushing totals in franchise history. So this guy was, you know, a run stopper. He basically would shut down the other team and force them sometimes to throw. Um, and back then, you know, there was a lot more running going on than, than what there is today. So he's second all time in Oilers uh, sacks. And he's, uh, with, with, and he's got 13 multi-sack games. And he's sixth in tackles. He's got 19 career forced fumbles with 19 fumble recoveries. So quite a few turnovers there. Um, he also has a safety on his resume. Those are always fun to get. And two, <laughs> and two touchdowns. Um, so just a very solid player. He's also on that 85 all-rookie team. So 10 years with the Houston Oilers. Chris, you played with him for a while. What kind of teammate was he? And, and was, was he a leader on that defense? Oh, Ray was a big-time leader. He wasn't uh, a guy that would say a lot, but he was like that commercial EF Hutton when Ray speak, people listen. Uh, you know, said he <laughs> he's not going to say too much to you, uh, but when he look at you and, and give you the nod of the, his head and, and say something to you, you know he mean business. He's a guy that just went about his business. He wasn't a big talker or nothing like that, but he just went by his business, you know, the most you're going to get out of them is hello, hello dish. That's the most you're going to get out of them. And then, but if you, things not going right, and he see things not going right, he say about five or six words and everybody know that get himself back in, back in order. You know, Ray was more of a, uh, like I said, wasn't a vocal leader. He was more lead by example type of guy. And he's always been that way. He's such, he's done such a great job in the Houston community of his foundations and everything else. So. Me coming in as a rookie, looking up to a guy like a Ray Childers, you know, having him there on the defense really made me be the player I am today because I knew that every time that any type of blitz or any type of pressure was going to happen off that right side, I knew that I can squat a little bit more because I knew Ray would be able to get there. Right. Well, let's move on to our last linebacker of the night. That's going to be Keith Bullock. I saw a guy like Keith Bullock. Um, he was a first round pick, uh, 30th overall out of Syracuse. Um, had an, uh, an 11 year career with the uh, Titans from the year 2000 to the 2010. During that time, he had a streak of 126 consecutive games. Um, he was a huge playmaker for the Titans, uh, a real enforcer or X, X factor. In, creating turnovers. He was second in fumble recoveries in uh, Titans history. Um, also, during, during the merger of the Titans, he's first uh, 
I'm sorry, second if I'm recovered by a defensive player, but first in defensive t- uh, touchdowns. He's a wild one-time Pro Bowler and three-time All-Pro for the year 2002, 2003, and 2007. Um, a huge enforcer in the uh, passing game, uh, causing 72 pass deflections. Also uh, forced 15 uh, fumbles and had over 1,100 tackles in his career. I honestly feel as if, um, even though he did play in the 21st century, I almost feel like if he was drafted to the, in today's time where it's more passing, he could have been used different. I know uh, our, my colleague Rallo here is a huge advocate for outside linebackers that play in the 4-3 and what she did and still was able to make a huge impact for the Titans. So Bullock comes in in 2000. He really kind of took the league by storm. This guy was dominant for a long time. I think he was in the shadow there, a little bit of some other great linebackers like Ray Lewis and, and things like that. But this guy has the numbers that could put him in the top of everything. Chris, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Bullock? Did you say 1,100 tackles and 72 pass defense? I think he's still in the ice tub right now. That's what I think Bullock is. <laughs> With 1,100 tackles, wow. We, <laughs> that is that is very impressive. I didn't, I didn't know he had numbers like that. Um, but that is very impressive with 1,100 tackles and 72 pass defense. Just think if he had good hands and caught half of those, he would be up in the all-time interception leader as far as the Titans or Oilers. Because I I know I didn't get all my interceptions with the Titans or the Oilers, but 72 pass defense, if he just caught half of those or a third of, of those, he would probably have been up there as far as, as far as interceptions also. Brian, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. I'm looking at that draft where Bullock is drafted. Here's some other linebackers that went. Erlacher, Arrington, Julian Peterson. I mean, that that's, oh, that's pretty, a pretty good class. That's a good class. That was the 99 <laughs> class, I believe, right? Uh, 2000. The 2000 class. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a heck of a class. Yeah, and then like you said, you know, Ray, Ray Ray was doing his thing in Baltimore. Uh, there was some great linebackers in Pittsburgh as well. So, yeah, it was uh, – I think for me, I feel like Bullock kind of flew under the radar too, much like Casey. Um, you know, he was sitting there doing his thing, but there was um, it was a great time to be a linebacker, I guess, in the NFL at that time because there was the focus was kind of shifted everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to the really fun positions on the field, and that's going to be the secondary. <laughs> so we're going to go to Ken Houston. Mr. Ken Houston. Drafted in the ninth round from Prairie View A&M and uh, had one of the greatest seasons by a defensive back ever. We'll touch on that in just a little bit. But uh, in six seasons, he had 25 interceptions with the, with, the, with the Oilers, nine of which went for a pick six. So let me put that into perspective. Almost 40% of his interceptions, he returned for a touchdown. Almost 36%. That's almost 40%. That's insane. He had 11 forced fumbles, 11 total return touchdowns. In 1971, he set the record for return touchdowns with five, which was eventually broken in 2006 by the ridiculous Devin Hester. Um, he's one of just three defenders in NFL history to return four interceptions in one, one season. Uh, in, in, one, in, uh, in a game in, 1970, in 1971, he had two pick sixes in a 34-second span. Returned two pick sixes, picked, wow. the, picked the pass off, they kicked off, he picked off the pass the next play. That's, that's insane. <laughs> Five of six, his six seasons, he went to the Pro Bowl. 
five of the six seasons, he was second team All-Pro. He was named to the 75th anniversary team. He's the only Oilers Titan on that list. He was the, he's on the seven, all, 70s All-Decade team. <clears throat> he was a first ballot Hall of Famer in 1986. And let me, let me, let me read this. One of the greatest seasons by a defensive back all time. In 1971, he had nine interceptions, 220 return yards, and four pick sixes. That's ridiculous. And so he eventually he was eventually traded to the Redskins in 1973 for Jim Snowden, Mac Austin, Clifton McNeil, Mike Finucci, and Jeff Severson. Who are they? Only one Pro Bowl amongst all of them. He went to seven Pro Bowls in Washington. Ken Houston, greatest bullet titan of all time. Book it. Chris, when we, when we do our top five shows, we don't we don't rank them. But in your opinion, is Ken Houston number one? With, with those numbers, yes. <laughs> well, you can't you can't argue. He was prime time before prime time. You know, with those, you said he had five. I mean, two touchdowns within within a, a thirty or forty second period. Thirty uh, second interception touchdowns for yes, that's a uh, sucks. That's prime time before prime time right there. So if he just had his little towel and his uh, commercials and everything like that, he would have <laughs> – he set the bar. Ken Houston set the bar way high, you know, playing defense back there in Houston. You heard a lot about uh, Ken, Ken Houston, you know, being from an HBCU, coming over there playing and doing the things he did. It's, like, incredible. You know, so my hat's always off to a guy like Ken Houston. It's such a great, a great role model, too, uh, for me also when I was there. So, but like I said, I take my hat off to Ken Houston. I'm a, I'm a huge Ken Houston fan. So I always have him number one between him and Evan McVay. They always wanted to in my heart. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, you mentioned Elvin Bethea. Let, let, let's move on to him. All right. Elvin Bethea, uh, 1968 to 1983 with the Oilers. I believe he's the longest tenured Oiler of any of the guys any of the guys we're talking about tonight, 16 seasons. Um, he had 210 career games as an Oiler, which is the second most in franchise history. Uh, Elvin was 6'2", 260 pounds. He came out of the uh, HBCU of uh, North Carolina A&T. Uh, was taken round three by the Oilers in the 1968 draft. Played right defensive end. And he was just a menace to quarterbacks and running backs for most of his career. Uh, he had 105 uh, career QB sacks, which is the most in franchise history. Um, he topped 10 sacks in six seasons. Uh, he had 14 and a half sacks in 1976, but somehow didn't make the Pro Bowl. Uh, that said, he was able to make a trip to the Pro Bowl eight times. Uh, only Bruce Matthews and Mike Munchak have gone to more Pro Bowls um, in Oilers Titans franchise history. Uh, he was also able to turn the ball over for his team. In 1972, uh, he led the NFL with uh, five fumble recoveries. Uh, he recorded two safeties during his career. Uh, no other Oiler Titan uh, has had more. Um, so he was the anchor of the defense for a very long time. Eight, like I said, eight Pro Bowls, should be more, two All Pros. His number 65 is retired by the franchise. Um, he's in the Ring of Honor, and he is in the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame. So that's Elvin Bethea. So it seems like the, the Oilers-Titans franchise has had a lot of great D linemen. 
this guy certainly fits that bill, and he had to go up against some really great running backs with Franco Harris down there in Pittsburgh. Probably, um, for, well, he was with Earl Campbell, so he didn't, <laughs> didn't have to face that one. But what are your thoughts on uh, Bethea? And, I mean, there's a lot of good defensive tackles and, and linemen to pick from today. It's uh, it's very humbling to actually be on this call with you guys and be able to talk about these guys like that. Um, you know, you hear them, you know, you don't know all their stats, you know, some of their stats, but to hear you gentlemen run down their stats, I'm trying to figure out why Chris Dishman's on this list. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm trying to figure out because you got Kenny Houston, Elvis Day, Jarrell Casey, you know, Keith Bullock, Curly Culp. It's like, wow, these guys have done it, done it all. And like I said, Elvis Day has just been a huge role model uh, for the, for, for me in, in, in Houston itself. And, just to hear his numbers right then and there, I'm like, I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was that great, you know. So um, I'm just happy to be mentioned in the in the same ballpark of these guys right here, you know, because you have some hell of a – it would be a hard job to pick 11. It would be an extremely hard job to pick the top five. So just pick 11 guys, you know. So you got Elvin, Kenny, Robert, you could just go down the line and put all them on defense, no matter if they linebackers or whatever, just put them all 11 out there and they can play with any position they can. Well, Kenny Houston stats, he like he can play corner and safety. So Kenny could take the left side of the field and just make sure no one even get the ball. You know, but like I said, you get you got some great names on this list. It's going to be extremely, extremely hard to pick five. Well, let me go ahead and tell you why Chris Dishman is on this list. So, <laughs> some guy named Chris Dishman, as Brian would say. So, cornerback, fifth-round pick out of Purdue. Played for the Oilers from 88 to 96. Now, with the Oilers, he's got a first-team All-Pro, and he was a pro bowler. So, he's got that going for him. He's got 31 interceptions with the Oilers. Now, that puts him second all-time in Oilers-Titans franchise history. He's got 12 fumble recoveries and 11 forced fumbles. So that puts him 10th all time. So combined, if you combine those turnovers, he is number one all time for turnovers in team history. Nothing can change a game more than a turnover. We all know that. We have all seen the games where everything is in hand and going well, and then boom, the turnover, game change, momentum change. Just, just craziness happens after that. So that is a big part of why Chris Dishman is on this list. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a little more information on him because obviously we're going to have a Q&A with him and we're, we're going to talk to him about his career here <laughs> in a little bit. But um, he's seventh all-time in solo tackles on the Oilers. He's got five touchdowns with the Oilers and he even has one punt return. So got that one punt return in there. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to so, tell you a story about that punt return. It wasn't really a punt return. <laughs> there you go. Give, give, give us that story. That, that'll be what we ask you about yourself. It was one of those things I was supposed to be getting out the way, and the ball hit me, so I had to grab the ball. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, they actually listed that as a punt return? Wow, I'll take it. <laughs> you got to definitely take it, but it was one of those uh, Peter, 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 get out the way, and I'm looking, didn't see the ball, and the ball hit me. And so once it hit me, I figured that I better pick it up and run. I, would, I didn't want to go back to the sideline and get cursed out. So I just picked <laughs> the ball up and ran and scored. So, I, thought maybe, I thought maybe it was like a flubbed punt or something, and you just no, didn't have it, it, 
I wish it was a great story where it was a 50-yard punt and I caught it over my head with one finger and ran it back for a 68-yard <laughs> touchdown. <laughs> as, as, as I get older, I may tell that type of story, but right now I got to tell you the truth. Yeah, it was one of those balls that hit me. It wasn't – when you said punt return, I was like, when did I have a punt return? But then it, when you kept talking, I was like, oh, he's talking about when the ball hit me in the back of my leg. That wasn't no punt return. But we can call it that. I, I, I accept that. <laughs> well, they gave you the they gave you the return stat for it, so there you go. <laughs> wow! All right. see, see how stats can uh, be um, uh, can be alarming sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move into our vote tonight. Everybody can't pick your own as usual. Dion, you're in my top corner, so you got first pick tonight. For, for best all time, right? Top five. Yep. Uh, top five. I'm struggling. Um, I have Houston number one. All right, so but Houston, I, Houston will be your pick then. We're all picking. Oh, okay, all right. I don't do. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, Houston. Number one. Rollo, you're up. Go ahead. All right, so <clears throat> I got to put Keith Bullock in that conversation because he was the heart and soul of that defense, and that's I saw that defense quite uh, several times a year with the against the Steelers. So Keith Bullock. Okay. Brian. Wow, I mean, uh, this is a very impressive list. This is really, really difficult. But I, I've got to go with uh, with Doctor Doom. Um, that guy, he just he he brought he brought an attitude to that uh, to that defense, man, and 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 just uh, a yeah, legendary nickname, and he lived up to it. Okay. So I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna take Curly Cole. I, uh, I like how the defense just completely changed. I mean, they were last-ranked defense, and a year later, they're, they're up there at fifth. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. So that uh, that brings it to you, Chris. Well, I got to go with Bethea there for sure. That's, that's the guy on my list, Bethea. I thought someone already picked him. I'm sorry. I got to go with Elvin. Well, there you have you know, it. Hall of Famer. You got to go with the Hall of Famers all, all first, so. Our top five Oilers slash, slash Titans defense is Robert Brazil, Ken Houston, Keith Bullock, Curly Colt, and Elvin Bethea. It's a nice yep. job tonight, guys. It looks like uh, Rollo and Brian, you both got two on the list. So, uh, Brian, I'll give you first question, and Rollo, you'll be after Brian. All right, Chris. Um, well, during, during your career with the Oilers, uh, the offense of that team had that very exciting run and shoot, uh, hmm. you know, thing going with Warren Moon, Lorenzo White, Drew Hill, Ernest Gibbons, etc. So, what was it like going against that that Oilers offense in practice? And during games, you know, a lot of times they would score really quickly. So, did that put so some sort of extra pressure on the defense during that time? Go on, let me answer your first question about the practice. I used to love going against those guys in practice because. I felt like if I could shut down any of those receivers, then the game was not going to be as hard as I, I thought it would be. Uh, Haywood Jeffries, Ernest Givens, Drew Hill, Tony Jones, Curtis Duncan. You could go on and on. And we it was only offense, only played one back. We had a legitimate four, any four of our running backs could go and play for someone else. Mike Rozier, Alonzo Highsmith, Alan Pinkett. Lorenzo White, who got drafted at the same time I got drafted. So you're talking about uh, a lot of guys that can make 
a one person miss and go the distance. You know, then you talk about the you know, phenomenal quarterback we had, Warren Moon. Uh, you know, then our offensive line with Bruce and Mike and Dean Stein Cooler and, you know, just Jay Pennison, who's our unsung hero. But, you know, just offensively itself, we had a lot of guys who can make plays. You know, so going against them during practice was very, it was uh, it was good for for defensively. It helped us in as far as game time situations. You know, so I love going against them on that one. And then I talked so long. I, uh, what was your second question? I was talking about a lot of times that that offense would score very quickly. So did that put added pressure on on the defense? No, it didn't because defensively we we want them to score because it gives us an opportunity to go out there and try to make plays. You know, like I said, I, I'm coaching right now, and I tell my players that stop whining and crying. The offense not doing this. They doing this. Don't look at no one but yourself. So take this as an opportunity as you going out there and making a play. If the offense turn the ball over, so what? It's your opportunity to go back and get a turnover. So it's give you more opportunity to be on the field to make a play. Rallo. You are one of, you are part of one of the most memorable plays and calls in NFL history. The Antonio Freeman. Ah. That catch was. <laughs> what was the feeling on the sidelines after that happened? And what was the feeling when he started running into the end zone once you thought he dropped? It was an incomplete pass. Well, once I looked up at the, uh, the um, telecam, uh, the cam up top, I, um, when I saw he caught it, I just walked into the locker room because I, I said, oh, it sucks. He didn't end up catching that ball. Uh, that was – and I use, also used that as a coachable moment of having, telling my players to always finish, finish the play. And it's a prime example why I didn't finish the play. Uh, two series before that, Antonio Freeman did something similar to that. The ball bounced. He scooped it up, took off running. The rest blew the whistle. So, you know, I didn't think nothing of it. And then when he did it just then – I thought for sure he was doing the same thing he did two or three series ago and just scooping it up and running into the end zone. But as it kept playing and kept playing, I kept watching it, walking off the field. I was like, I said another word, but I'm say darn it right now. <laughs> I said, uh, darn it, he actually caught that football. So uh, I use it as a life lesson to always finish. You know, don't assume that you make the play. Uh, I had a couple of opportunities to tackle him right then and there, but I chose to, didn't think he was going to, I didn't think he caught it. And that's a prime example that in football and in life, you can never assume because then you'd be good. And then this probably about 10 or 15 years later, people still talking about it. So that's a life lesson that I always give my children now and give the guys that I coach. Don't always assume, just make the play and go ahead and make the tackle and finish. Yeah. Hey, Chris, uh, I was talking to the guys before the show start. Uh, I'm hoping I don't send bad luck to my Buckeyes by putting your picture up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm a huge college football fan, and I just want to know, what was your experience like at Purdue? It was a great experience at Purdue. You know, um, I came in as a receiver at Purdue. Um, and then I was switched on the first day, you know, how the offense, when they have the whole team, offense stay in one area, defense go in another area. And I was a receiver. And I can still remember today, our coach, Ron Mims, came and told me, it was calling my name, Dishman, Dishman, let's go. Defense over here. And me being the arrogant person I was back then and 
I'm a receiver. I'm catching footballs and I'm scoring touchdowns. I thought it was another dishman. I didn't think he was talking about me. So I figured it was another dishman somewhere around. And uh, he told me that I was on defense. And I was like, oh, well, I never, I don't want to play defense. I came here to play offense. And lo and behold, God worked in great ways that the only seat available was to sit. I sit by a guy named Rod Woodson. And uh, <laughs> the only seat was left because I was the last one in the room. I sit by a guy named Rod Woodson, and he looked, and he knew, he saw like a frustration in my face and in my body language, and he reached over and hit me, and like, man, you be all right, we be good, you be all right. And from that point on, uh, he showed me some ways of playing defensive back, and and the rest was history. I guess a lot of people smarter than I was. I wanted to play receivers and catch balls, and they said, nope, you're going to make a career playing defensive back. So you coached in the NFL, the NFL Europe, the CFL college, and now you're at a prep school. Like, what what do you feel is is easier coaching players wise, like professionals or is it college or just the young kids? And, and which did you enjoy the most? Um, um, I coached in all the all the FF all the FLs, XFL, NFL, CFL. Uh, the CFL was kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> coaching defensive back in the CFL when the receivers are moving and it's only three downs and uh, second down when your special team coach calling for the punt team and I keep telling him hey man no it's not punt team he's like this is only three downs uh, that was kind of weird but I had a great time um, what's more enjoyable is is coaching period I just love coaching at any level um, I love game planning uh, uh, I love trying the X and O's or trying to figure out what the offense is going to do against us. Um, I love recruiting when I coached in college. I love recruiting because recruiting to me is like uh, like playing a game. You know, you, you got to win. You got to go get the best guys. In order to save your job, you got to go get the best guys. And coaching here, that's the same thing we're doing. We're trying to get the best guys, try to give them the best knowledge possible. And that way they can be better husbands, better brothers, better uh, uncles, and better sons. And whatever that I can rub off, my little knowledge I have can rub off on any of those guys that I've coached and going to coach, then it is what it is. That's what we're here to do on earth is give back. And I think that's one of my callings is to give back to what I know. You know, some people take it and some people don't. Brian. Well, I got to ask this one. Um, <laughs> You know, Jerry Glanville, you know, let, let's just say he had a colorful personality. Um, what was it like playing for Glanville? And do you have any funny Glanville stories you'd like to share? Oh, do we have enough time on this show? <laughs> what a Glanville story? Oh, my goodness. I'd be way past my bedtime with those stories. I got a lot of Glanville stories. Um, here's one. Glanville used to call me the future. He's always called me the future, you know, um, so New York Jets, we played the New York Jets. I think it was in 88 or 89. I made it my first start, one of my first starts. And um, Wesley Walker, the receiver, uh, beat me for two touchdowns. And it wasn't even halftime. He beat me for two touchdowns, okay? So Glanville came over to the bench and sit by me, and he said, future, guess what? I said, what, well, coach? He said, I'm going to have to pull you from the game because you're killing us. I said, uh, I said, Coach, no, I'm gonna get him next time. He said, No, future, your time is your time is over. He said, But guess what, future? 
not that many people saw it. So don't worry about the touchdowns. Nobody saw it. And he walked away, and I was like, oh, yeah, no one saw the touchdowns. And then I realized, I said, hold on, there's 70,000-some people in this uh, stadium. All these people saw the touchdowns. What do you mean no one saw the touchdowns? But that was one of Coach Glanville's ways to keep you loose. You know, he's a, such a fun-loving guy, such a player's coach. He always wants you to be loose, you know. Of course, he put me back in in the second half and played and whatever. But uh, fortunately, I didn't get beat for no more touchdown by Wesley Walker. <laughs> so, but Glanville was such a fun-loving, loose guy. And he did that, the tickets, just to keep everybody loose. He felt like if all the pressure, if all the media was on him, they wouldn't be on the players and the coaches. You were you were on that team when uh, Gus Ferrat did the head by himself, right? Weren't you on that? Yes, I was on it. <laughs> what was the locker been, room like after that? I've I've been on some colorful teams now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I started at one point. I'm thinking, hold on, is the team or is it me? What's the what what the world's going on? <laughs> you know. Um. Yes, I was on that team where Russ did that and and it, it messed up our playoff hopes to um to be uh, it messed up our playoff hopes. But you know it was it was strange being in there because we was kind of upset at at him. But you know at that time he was just excited. You know he's excited. He was a young quarterback. You know he was excited that he'd done something great and and I didn't think he expected that brick wall to be behind that. <laughs> so. You know, because when you touch it, it feels soft. But if you go in deeper, he, I, didn't, I didn't think he expected that big brick wall to be there to give himself a concussion like that. <laughs> Dion, go ahead. All right, Chris. Uh, I always wanted to know, I mean, today, in today's league, you know, the draft is just this big, pub, you know, publicized event now. Uh, what was the draft process like for you back then? <laughs> well... I had this huge party. I'm talking about it was like a huge. It was probably about, um, I think it was three people there. My mom, my dad, and I. That's my big party, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we was in West Lafayette, Indiana. And um, my mom and dad drove up for that day. Um, I got a call. I was in, a, well, I was a fifth round pick, okay? So I got a call, it was around about, 8.30, almost 8.30, 9 o'clock. So I could stay up early. I could stay up a little bit longer then. I was younger, so I could stay up longer. But eight, today, if they try to call me, I'd be sleeping, miss my draft party. So by 8.30, 9 o'clock, I got a call from uh, Hollaback, Mike Hollaback, God rest his soul, and, Nick, and Coach Nick Saban. He called me and said, hey, we got the next pick. We're going to take you. Um, so stay by your phone. Then I talked to Coach Saban. He told me to come prepare, come ready, get ready to go, that don't come in like a rookie um, and come in and keep myself in shape and start fussing at me then. So <laughs> then I um, told my mom. My mom and I were sitting there watching Andy Griffin uh, shows, and she yelled back to my dad who was in bed, and told him, hey, uh, uh, Billy, that Chris is getting uh, drafted by those Houston Oilers in Houston. So my dad said, all right, Dan, well, let's go. They was about to get up. My dad was about to get up and go back home. I was like, mom, dad, y'all can stay tonight. And, you know, it's 
sit, finish watching our shows. And so and that's what that's what I did on my big draft day it was my mom, my dad and I uh, at my apartment there in West Lafayette, Indiana. My dad was asleep. My mom and I was watching Andy Griffin shows. So, <laughs> so I didn't have the hula of the 25 and 30 people around me, you know, the three-day affair in New York, uh, nothing like that. And plus, I was drafted so late in the fifth round, and they already drafted a guy in the second round, and they already had four corners on the team. It wasn't a lot of uh, people expecting me to make that team. And that's what I love about myself, that I'm a, I'm a fighter, I'm a getter, and I'm a workhorse. And you make try to you make and count me out, but I'm never going to count myself out. And whatever my plan, whatever God's plan for me, I'm gonna make sure it comes to come true. So today's NFL, the rules are highly stacked against the defense, especially defensive backs. You touch somebody, you're getting a pass interference call. You can't hit like you used to. Do you feel that you would be able to play in today's NFL with with the rules the way they are, or did you hit too hard? And and then also tell us about the Safe Beat Initiative. Uh, yes, I figure that I can play in the NFL. I'll be frustrated every game now. Trust me, I'll be frustrated every game, and I will be. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will have a lot of fines. I will tell you that much, because I will be uh, very frustrated at the refs. And I'm a, and I'm the type of person don't really keep quiet. So after if a reporter asks me a question after the game, I will will be blasting the refs. So that's a that will probably be a fine right there. But it's uh, today's game is it's it's so different as far as defensive backs. They already they always had the five year rule, but they never really enforced it. Um, now you could be on the other side of the field. Uh, hit a person at the five yards, don't have no effect on a play on the other side of the field, but yet still they throw a flag, it's a penalty. Now, I think someone who's smarter than me should go back and reevaluate that rule. And if it's not affecting the play, then they shouldn't call the penalty. And one, it should not allow the penalty to stand. You know, that's the old defense, that's the defensive back in me. But people, fans love football. They just don't want to see scoring. They just don't want to see 55 to 42 games. They love football. They love offense. They love defense. They love special teams. They just love the game of football. And I think if you keep having the, the game the way it's going now, we're going to lose the love of the fans, you know, of football. Because it's not going to be football. It's got to be called something else. You know, you ain't it's got to call it – going to have the flags out like you did when you first started playing and everybody had to go pull the yellow and red flags, you know, <laughs> but I uh, hope they do change some of the rules. The quarterbacks these days are highly protected. You know, you even blow by a quarterback with a shoulder and hit him, then you're going to get a flag, you know, so if you, and I can see why Brady can play as long as he can play. Yes, he is a great quarterback, but he have no fear of getting hit. So if he has no fear of getting hit, then I can sit back in my pocket and I'm going to wait for the, for the uh, guys to get open and knowing that if a guy brushed by me and hit me and I do a little flopping, then I'm going to get a penalty. So, but yeah, like I said, I, I think I was will be able to play in today's game, but I'll be very frustrated. You know, Safe Beat is an organization that my wife and I has gotten involved with. And 
it's for it's for kids of getting heart screen. Uh, it's so many kids, so many young kids. You know, you hear about passing out, not having a proper heart screening of playing sports and football, and uh, we got involved in that, and it's been really good for us because we just try to give back as much as possible. And like I said before, that uh, you're on earth to uh, to live, to love God, and to give back to the ones who who's less needy than you. Right. Well, thank you to NFL All-Pro Chris Dishman joining us tonight, talking some Houston Oilers and Titans. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you guys for having me. You guys actually beat my bedtime. See there? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Everybody, time, guys, y'all give me a call. And like I said, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was really fun of doing this. You know, it's a, it's a pleasure to hear you guys' knowledge of the game. You know, of hearing the, hear you read down all the stats of the Kenny Houston's, the Elvin Thay, the Curly Culps. You know, that's a that's a the Houston Oilers is a good organization. was a good organization, um, and then the Titans. Now there's the Titans, so you can see some great football history in that organization. Well, everybody who's been watching, I make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening or watching on. Everyone have a great night. Thank you for joining us. All right, guys, have a great one. Clear.